Ahoy! We be a starting upon our maiden voyage as Unbuilt explores the SS Disney, a floating theme park that had its a small world on the poop deck, where rightfully belonged. And instead of an engine room, we have a tuple of the forbidden eye. Instead of a galley, we've got a quick service sponsored by McDonald's. And in place of a sick bay, we've got some teacups that'll make you toss your lunch into the briny deep. Get ready to set sail on Unbuilt! Welcome to the very first official episode of Unbuilt, an unrealized theme park podcast. With me today is my co-host, Ryan Dorman. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm doing great. I'm ready to talk about an unbuilt... Well, I guess I was going to say unbuilt theme park attraction, but today we're actually going to start with something even bigger Mm. uh, than an unbuilt theme park attraction. Crazy. (laughs) How's your week been doing? Um, it's been exciting. You know, the, 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 the world's opening up. It's nice and 90 degrees here. Uh, mm-hmm. make you a little jealous. So. Yeah. <laughs> now we're recording this in July of 2022, 2020. God, did I just say 2022? I know I'm thinking towards <laughs> the future. No, July of 2021. Uh, so you're going to be hearing this in August, but, uh, hopefully the future isn't as bleak hopefully people get more and more (laughs) vaccinated i'm Mm. hoping and uh we can start really getting opened up out there but i'm doing good i'm on a little vacation right now enjoying a little staycation and uh we're in a heat wave which sucks so uh, what what temperature is it over there in uh on the east coast it's uh 91 degrees here in, in maryland and that's what 20 degrees cooler than than what you've got right now oh my god it is like 115 (laughs) i think like the like the heat wave officially ends tonight and like that Mm. and then when i say heat wave i mean we get down to a brisk back down to a brisk 92 degrees so i can't wait for that (laughs) oh lovely yeah right yeah it sounds like you go from hotter to just hot just hot just a little hot just a tiny bit hot (laughs) So cross our fingers. So let's get this episode started by talking about something that actually got built. So uh, now, once again, we're recording this in July, uh, August. Uh, is when you'll be hearing this, but just right now, a, a new version of the Jungle Cruise has opened up. And uh, has any other of us gotten a chance to check out the uh, point of views? I did. I saw the video. You did. So I'm. I have not. So I'm very interested in seeing what you think about it. In, well, so interesting enough, I've never quite been the biggest Jungle Cruise fan. Um, not that I never liked it. 
but uh, it was never like a, a diehard ride that I needed to do when I went. I think I just lost a couple cred points there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but but I wasn't like amazingly excited for for New Jungle Cruise. Um, I was certainly interested though. Uh, and I saw a POV. I guess that POV would be Disneyland, right? The Disneyland one, yeah. They're kind of like slowly working on it in the Disney World one. Now, the Disneyland one is interesting because they're still adding props as right. the week goes I saw, on. Well, one, uh, one, one I saw in the POV, I don't remember whose POV it was, I'm sorry, but there was actually people working on the ride in the middle of daily oh, operations. Oh, wow. So. Yeah, there was a guy. I mean, maybe it's in there, and I'm just they just did a really good job on the animatronic. But, <laughs> but there was a guy in a uh, an orange uh, reflective vest and a hard hat. Did they even like talk about scenes. it? Like, did the skipper refer to them? No, you know, I wish they did. I think that would have been a pretty easy one. I think mm-hmm. maybe the script is so strict nowadays yeah. that they they can't really hop off script. But yeah, they they didn't. They were working on it in the middle. Um, it was a neat POV. Again, I can't remember who, but uh, some of them will zoom in and like get a couple of angles on the new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, you know, uh, there's not too much of note going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, except they obviously, so a lot of this is for the fifth key, which is if you, you the, know, yeah, the, the fifth key for know. the inclusion, yes. Right, is the inclusion, uh, the new inclusivity key, which, uh, of course, great thing. It's going to lead to some a lot of great changes to the parks, which we talked about extensively on, on uh, another show. But mm-hmm. Certainly, we'll probably come up here multiple times, like you said in the episode zero about Splash Mountain. But the new Jungle Cruise pulled a lot of the depictions of, of natives uh, or of, of native peoples to the various... I guess uh, rivers that the attraction is supposed to take place in mm-hmm. um, and replace them with pretty much from what I could see uh, animals. Yeah. So obviously, except for the totem pole, which we'll, we'll get to presumably in a second, mm-hmm. um, majority of the replacements are just taking a, an attraction, which had, you know, people had something in it, had people, uh, and putting a a small vignette of an animal or animals performing some wacky hijinks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what what have you? Uh, presumably, there's a reason why you didn't watch the POV. Were you avoiding spoilers or the reason? Actually, is because they say that it wasn't finished yet. I don't want to watch. Oh, okay. I don't want to view an unfinished project. Uh, I think that's <laughs> a little unfair. Uh, I have heard good things, th- which is surprising. I thought this would be met with a little bit more of a cantankerous. Uh, well, it kind of was. There's something going on in the queue. We'll talk about it in a second. But uh, yeah. we'll, I have heard a lot of positive things about it. I think it was done with, seems to be done with a lot of care. Uh, how are the new jokes? So the new jokes are about new, on par. They actually new with G N U, you know. So yeah. Oh yes, yeah. Of okay. Course, of course. course. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is ironic that you you did not want to see an unbuilt attraction. Of course. Of course. Of course. Um, but but the new jokes do seamlessly fit in. In fact, I frankly didn't notice a majority of them, mm-hmm. uh, just because your brain kind of shuts off a little bit when you're listening to Jungle Cruise. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it wasn't like it was uh, absolutely different. Uh, there was one part where um, 
some monkeys got into a butterfly box. Yeah. And they were covered in butterflies. And I remember oh. the joke was something simple, like they're monkeying around or oh, I don't know, yeah. something about that. Or they're bugging us or something. Mm. Um, most of the jokes, of course, are identical. Um, there, there, there seem to be a couple of neat little show scenes. Nothing really too attractive. Um, the big one, obviously, is I'm sure you've seen a picture of the sunken the sunken uh, skipper boat. Yeah, right. There's actually two of them. Oh, uh, it's either two or three. I really? can't remember off the top of my head, but there is more than one. Wow. Yes. So there's one that's just in the background, and another that's covered in uh, animatronic monkeys. Oh, okay. Uh, they, they leaned very heavy in the monkeys, actually, now that I think about really? it on this one. Well, because they're Trader Sam's, uh, which we'll, we'll talk about that, too. Um, but but the Trader Sam's part at the end is is also inhabited by a bunch of animatronic monkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, I think perhaps they'd realize that monkeys are funny. And, are <laughs> fun. <laughs> and they, they went with that. I, I, I could not complain. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it really didn't feel too different. I I don't maybe my yeah maybe my familiarity with Disneyland is a little bit off, but you can correct me if I'm wrong on this because it seemed like the POV emphasized a couple of shots that I thought were already there. There was one with a tiger. Um, is that new? Do you remember? There was a tiger. Okay, then that's that that presumably isn't new. And then it emphasized another one with a snake on a tree, but that also seems also from the old one. Good. I thought so. Okay. So then the only stuff that really I can think of that was new is the, uh, couple of, uh, um, additions that we've known about for a while, which is the new Taurus on the totem pole, Mm -hmm. which despite what, Despite the comments of Kim Irvine, I think it was yes. getting very popular. It, it, it actually, and d- despite her seemingly criticism of the Mark Davis stuff, um, it really looks like a Mark Davis bit. Huh? So it, it, it's it's not inappropriate. The faces yeah. are are particularly Mark Davisy. That's good. Uh, very very emotive mm-hmm. um, and and vibrant. Um, yeah, and she just pretty much said we could never relate to them. Now we can relate to them, which just kind of seemed like corporate speak. She was given whatever the company yeah. wine, wine wants to do. Yeah, that's the well. And, uh, I'd say yeah, part corporate speak and part WDI lately has been really pushing the the relation thing. You know the the big storylines mm. behind everyone because they do the way that they dress all of the people on the the totem pole, mm. or I think being a chased by a rhino, right, um, is different. Like all of them have different jobs, and now we can really feel what they were there for. Like mm. one's a photographer, and another, and you know that's that's fun enough. Um, perhaps a bit too much for what's supposed to be a sight gag with the focus on Skipper, um, but you, know, you can't complain right. that far. It looks fine. The the junk the the boats that were in the water also is a a, a fun idea, um, and finally if the the one that I did want to mention, where we get the classic, uh, Ryan Dorman criticism is uh the, the the Trader Sam's part at the very end. Uh-huh. So they replaced the final scene of Trader Sam with the the shrunken heads, um, with a uh Trader Sam's lost and found right, right? where he collects mm-hmm. well steals or collects the the items off of dead passengers perhaps yeah. and sells them, which is a, the same joke roughly uh, as Kinda, the other. Yeah, but there's no um, that's, no caricature there. So yeah, now that's well the problem that I always had. The, actually, let me rephrase the problem that I. I think I have with the ending is that I'm not necessarily sure 
it was completely necessary to remove Trader Sam, com- like a hundred percent. I think that what they easily could have done was dumb down some of the more emphasized parts of the character, but keep the kind of idea. Um, because at the moment they kind of picked a weird middle ground, mm-hmm. uh, because you, you still have Trader Sam, right? The idea yeah. is still there and it's the same Trader Sam, the same, you know, heightened caricature Trader Sam. But it, but, but you is don't... it because we don't see him. Oh, but you just Google it. <laughs> yeah, but you could Google it. But that's the whole point is that you don't see it. So Trader Sam could be anybody. But it's Trader Sam. I, I know what you're saying. But it, it's uh, like if 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 the if the the uh, the new Splash Mountain had Brer Rabbit as like a word, mm-hmm. or even worse, if it said Uncle Ramus, oh, Uncle Ramus, like a, yeah. a sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I mean that's true. It wouldn't have Uncle Ramus in it, right? But it still has the idea. I think it was a good. It would have been a good place to redefine the character, mm-hmm. which would make the bars actually a much cleaner sell. True. No, um, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. It, it, perhaps if they had, they you could take the same design, clean it up a lot because there's a lot to clean up on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if you even if you just keep a fat guy in a top hat, you know, no. give him clothes. I guess who cares? But that that that. Because right now they're going to have a, a weird problem where if they're not going to run with the character uh, and they're going to keep him faceless, then you also have the bars, which there seems to be like an open admission that the original character was not what they wanted to go for yeah. image wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it would have been a neat time to do that. That being said, uh, it's certainly a much more active ending than the yeah. other one. And that's not too big of a problem. The only slight problem is that if you are of the group that thought the lazy trash on the Matterhorn was bad, then you'll feel much worse about this one. Okay, so um, if you were, now okay, I'm not saying so I, am, I actually don't like that because I think the scene in the Matterhorn with the crystals was more aesthetically pleasing. Mm-hmm. Now, that said, originally in the Matterhorn, it was a bunch of crystals. Okay. It was a bunch of crystals, mm-hmm. and that was what it was. In the Jungle Cruise queue, so this is what we're talking about. In the Jungle Cruise queue. Oh, were... I was talking about something different. Actually. Oh, really? What, what were you talking yeah. about? Yeah, oh, because that's a good point. I'm actually, I'll agree. I'm going to agree with you. Actually, what's in the queue here? Uh, I was talking about in the scene with the sunken boats, uh-huh. and in the Trader Sam scene, there is just garbage floating in the water. Oh, like really? like like. like yeah, like little. I mean, maybe maybe there was just construction garbage. I don't know. <laughs> uh-huh. But in the video, it seemed like it was themed, like it all fell off the boat, like boxes and stuff oh, like that. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and, and the boxes I have plastic. No pro- boxes I have no problem with, but yeah, it was yeah. more than boxes. Oh, okay. It was also like plastic and stuff. Mm, so it, it did almost look like something spilled out, which is thematically appropriate, but still just gives the impression of of garbage. Now, go ahead on what you're going to say, because I I think I will end up agreeing with you here to an extent. So there's a lot of discussion being had. So in the queue, so we ought to explain what um, SEA is, which Society of Adventures and Explorers. It's this interconnected um, idea that uh, all these attractions across the globe, Disney theme parks are all interconnected. Um, This is nothing new. This has been mm-hmm. going on for 20 years now. Uh, it was mostly introduc- introduced with Tokyo Disney Sea and the, what was it? Uh, the Adventures Club was sort of retroactively folded back into it and various attractions are folded back into it, including the Jungle Cruise now. 
in mm-hmm. the Q4, the Jungle Cruise right now, uh, before it was a boathouse with a bunch of crap in it. Now it is a boathouse with a bunch of crap in it, but it also has some boxes and some artifacts uh, referencing these SEA characters. Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't there already an Indiana Jones box up in there? That is absolutely correct. Yes. Okay. The uh, boathouse in 1994 was rethemed to reflect in the 1930s and tied into Indiana Jones in the Forbidden of the Temple Eye. Uh, Temple mm. of the Forbidden Eye. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, I got to get that correct. We're going to be talking about it in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, so... Uh, that that's already been done. There are already Indiana Jones references in there. And so people are like, Oh, I can't believe this is so tacky. I can't. They're pops in the queue. They have little s- messages on them. Imagining has been doing this forever. I, I couldn't care less. I, I'm sorry. Well, the one thing I, I'm kind of split 50, 50 on this because on one hand they already did this in Skipper's canteen. Mm-hmm. Um, Jungle Cruise is not foreign to the SCA even before this, even before the light, you know, comments in Tokyo Disney Sea and and the Tower of Terror and uh, what is that? That's in Tokyo as well, right? Yeah, that Tower of Terror. Yeah, Harrison How Terror. Yes, um, the the Skipper's Canteen library was full of references to you know every C member and all that stuff. I can't say I'm too familiar with all the ex- Adventures Club mm-hmm. stuff, but certainly it wasn't new. What right. what is perhaps I think a little bit of an issue is that I do kind of agree with uh, Tony Baxter, and there's my cop out, just name drop. <laughs> uh, no, Tony Baxter, uh, his comments about uh, hidden Mickey's. And, and a lot of them, actually, even Joe Rody has uh, said similar things. Hidden Mickey's can be cool. They can be cool ideas mm-hmm. when they're subtle, but when they're overt and they become a, you know, like a thing that you sell guidebooks on, it kind of kills the immersion because no longer, like, for example, when you're looking at a box in the queue, right? Mm-hmm. The goal is to have enough detail that you can pass over it with your eye. And then so little detail that you can move on to the next thing. Yes. Right. If you if you heighten it with so much detail and it be detail about something that reflects the fact that it's a theme park ride versus, you know, like a a real jungle cruise, then I think there's an argument to be had that that pulls away a little bit from the attraction I and the more overt you get with that, the worse it becomes. I, I actually disagree with that. I think it kind of is a little bit of a small Easter egg that most people won't notice. Uh, once again, yeah. uh, we have to be fair. They haven't, they haven't finished adding things to the queue. So there could be a little bit more of a different knickknacks. Um, there's a great balance of this in the enchanted, tiki, uh, enchanted Tiki bar uh, Trader Sam's. Where mm-hmm. there are SEA elements, but they're all intermixed with all these different ideas. So right. hopefully that will happen as well, where it won't overwhelm as much. But I also don't see it as overwhelming. It's just a stamp on a box. And it's I, not really informing you of an overarching story as of this is the world that we're living in. We're currently The only reason... Yeah, I think I can forgive it because you're right. Most audience, the, to know about C 
SEA, you need to know about a Tokyo theme park and a closed bar in downtown Disney, right. which doesn't exist, mm-hmm. right? So it's not like something where something like Web Slingers, which I thought the queue was a little, you know, bitey, <laughs> and uh, as well as uh, what's it called, um, Mission Breakout. <laughs> With uh, like Harold in the corner, like that's yeah. fun and all, but it it it's so like whiplashy. Yeah, no, um, I agree. That it feels weird. The C, as much as I wish that they kind of didn't, um, I you the only person who's going to notice it's me. So if we're speaking on like a strictly you know utilitarian art perspective, no, no one's going to notice it. So it can't really be criticized that heavy. Right. Um, but uh, so so. As a as a whole, it seems like the Jungle Cruise refurb was done quite well. Good. Um, yeah, I do wish that uh, that they didn't completely. I wish that they re. Disney is is no stranger to taking characters who are from very problematic material and reframing them, right? Um, so I I think that Trader Sam could have possibly received some sort of a, a of an update treatment, mm-hmm. but. I guess in comparison, if you can only have this or the other one, I I, I can't complain here. All right. Well, uh, so I look forward to seeing it. uh, I believe it officially debuts on the 16th. So I'll be probably watching it then. Uh, But now uh, let's move on to our main topic. All right, let's get into this. We're going to begin on our maiden voyage. Uh, Let's dive into the SS Disney. So uh, are you excited, Mr. Dorman? I, I, you know, I've never been on a cruise. You've never been on a cruise. I don't know if I can get seasick. I have been (laughs) on the uh, Royal Caribbean, uh, Norwegian. Um, I even went on the Big Red Boat, which... Um, just to let you know, I don't have this in our history portion, but Disney actually began on the re- big red boat just, uh, as mm-hmm. a partnership, but, uh, they eventually got out of it and, uh, went into the Disney cruise line. Um, but this is what happened in between all of that. Uh, but, uh, cruises are interesting. I have like a love hate affair with it. Um, it is very excess, but, on the other hand, uh, it's kind of nice to go on the sea for nine days and not have your phone or internet working. Well, you probably have your internet working now, which is, you know what? Never mind. I don't want to go on a cruise. I, I would just, just stuck you in Twitter. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, just, not, just you know, rip off access to Twitter, please, please, please. Not, please. <laughs> so uh, let's get into what is it. So. In the early 1990s, uh, Disneyland International President Jim Cora. Now, Jim Cora, he uh, led the charge on many projects, including Tokyo Disneyland uh, and rose to the ranks, becoming the Disneyland International President. Pretty much takes care of all the international parks. He was attending a fundraising dinner and he sat next to a U.S. Navy admiral. It was, it was fresh off the ending of the Cold War. The Soviet Union just fell. So they had a lot of surplus of uh, military aircraft carriers. So 
they were just going to sell him on scrap and you know they're striking up a conversation and he's kind of joking you know why don't i sell one to disney you could just put a a theme park on it because those aircraft carriers they have such a massive top they have such a massive top and they do have a big innards uh so jim Corey goes huh well, that's an interesting idea. Now you have to remember, this is the early 90s. We're fresh off just starting the Disney decade. And the Disney company is on top. They are on top of the world. Euro Disney hasn't even opened yet. Hasn't become the financial failure that it was. Uh, and and they, they, their only experience at this time was partnering with the Big Red Bow. That's it. The Disney... Uh, the Disney company has zero experience with anything having to do with cruise lines. Uh, the parks and resorts are purely theme parks and resorts. That's it. That's all they have. I don't even think they had separate DVC at this time. I don't believe so. So Jim Cora goes, wow, this is an interesting idea. He takes it to Mark Hitson. Mark Hickson has 13 years of shipbuilding experience. And Hickson takes takes a look at the idea and goes, what if instead of an aircraft carrier, we put it on a super tanker? So a super tanker is this very long cargo ship that usually holds millions of gallons of either oil or cargo. So imagine a Disney show building. Let's one of those rectangular Disney show buildings. And you put them side by side by side. You put them on a boat and you have a roof and you can float it. That's pretty much what a super tanker is. So the aircraft carrier, it has a lot of capacity, but kind of dives towards the middle because it has this kind of inverted triangle middle. So Hickson goes, this is the idea. This is exactly what we should do. They take the idea to Eisner and Wells, Michael Eisner and Frank Wells, and they absolutely love the idea. I do have to apologize. You will hear a cat meowing in the background. Um, yeah, she she doesn't know where the, how to be polite during the podcast recording, so I'm very sorry about that. They take it to Eisner and Wells, and they love it. They're saying, okay, we're going to do uh, a top area and then show building structures all the way to the bottom deck, five decks in one top deck. So like six decks you have to put rides, shows, and attractions on. So they spent nine months crafting a project. And if you look at ESS Disney on Google right now, you can actually see a model of it. This model uh, actually sat on Tony Baxter's desk for months, for months and years until it got like brown. So this this model existed for ages, and uh, have have you taken a look at the model? Yeah, absolutely. If you're looking at the the model on Google, um, you can see that it looks like a rather busy ship, almost dauntingly busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's all sorts of kinetic elements, and it's very fanciful. Uh, if you look at it, you, you would immediately recognize it and go, "What the hell is that?" And that's exactly <laughs> what they were going for. Uh, now, if you lived in the United States, which I, I, I would suppose the majority of listeners will probably be living in the United States, you'd be like, this is awesome. I can go to the Pacific or the Atlantic Ocean and go and experience it. No, 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 no. This isn't for you. This isn't for you. 
This is the hit markets that the Disney company did not previously have access to. Uh, it was known as the SS Disney within, but outside in the company, it was known as the floating theme park. It would hit ports in Europe, South America, Asia, and Australia, various ports in that area. So it would come there. And so a lot of people also think immediately, oh, cool. So I can go to sea and go ride on rides. No, no, no. Again, not that. This was to be dockside at port at all times. You, you can't. You can't just take a theme park and float it into middle of international waters. Uh, so it would dock there uh, in markets where a Disney theme park could not be found within 500 miles. It would stay docked at each port for about two to three months. Uh, it was reckoned probably 75 days. So the idea was that this thing would come and for about a month beforehand, they would set up this area on the dock and would have these giant shipping containers that were themed. And you would go to there and they'd be like, the SS Disney is coming in one month, in three weeks, in two weeks. It would have like this giant countdown. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. They would recruit people on the uh, on the area where they they are to work this job for about three to about three to four months. And they would have these seasonal jobs. You could go and you could, of course, you could buy merchandise there. Of course. Because, of course, you're <laughs> signing for the SS Disney. Here's my here's my SS Disney shirt. I'm going to wear this when my SS Disney comes here. And you would be able to buy tickets. All right. I got my ticket. I'm going to go to the SS Disney when it comes in the town. So, finally, at the month mark, the ship arrives. And it's there for about 75 to 90 days when it leaves it will not be there for another five years it will go to destination to destination but if you want to see it now if you want to take your kids now daddy danny you want to go to the ss disney it won't be back for another half decade your kid's nine she's gonna be 14 when it comes back <laughs> she ain't gonna want to go on the ss disney anymore you gotta go now now this is where or you want to go. So this would allow the thing to experience about four markets a year, spending the rest of the time on sea floating to its next destination. It's a lot it of would, FOMO. Right, say. exactly. <laughs> uh, so the innards of the ship would be manned by cast members who would live on an ancillary passenger ship. So this would create what they called the Disney Navy. Disney Navy was composed oh, yeah. of three ships. So it was the SS Disney, the passenger ship, and a fireworks ship where they would light off fireworks at the end of the night. Uh, the outer portions would have seasonal staff positions. That was almost entirely ran by the junior staff. And the junior staff, there would be a small portion of them that would be actually hired to work on the inside, mostly to help with uh, both bilingual translation as well. Uh, so there would be a small amount that would be working on the inside, but the inside would be mostly managed by the senior staff that travel with the ship. Let's discuss the inside of the ship. Got any questions so far, Mr. Dorman? Oh, so far. Well, no, no questions so far. Mm -hmm. Besides the fact that Disney Navy sounds like one of the scariest things I imaginable. know, right? Like, yeah, they're coming to close Epcot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, let's discuss the insides of the ship. Uh, and what you really want to hear, which is what the hell was going to be in this thing? Here's where it gets confusing. It was going to be divided in half. It was going to have a Fantasyland and a Tomorrowland. However, because of Michael Eisner's demands, 
they're going to have an Adventureland portion, even though there was no Adventureland, because they didn't want to do an Adventureland because you're going into the areas that Adventureland isn't very exotic. Well, you're you're going to where Adventureland is based off of, Ex- and I don't think they would look too kindly on some of exactly. the exactly. So you ain't, yeah. you ain't gonna get no Jungle Cruise on this ship. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the lands were also really imbalanced. Fantasyland was massive, truly massive. It's like it took up easily the majority of the ship. Tomorrowland was much smaller. Tomorrowland was going to be bigger, but we'll get to that. You would walk up the gameplay to the park's entrance. If you've ever been on a cruise, you would know what you do is you go to the terminal. You go to the dock terminal. You, you do this incredibly lengthy and extremely dull portion where you get everything signed up and you get your tickets and stuff like that. And then finally, you walk up this game plank, which is kind of like a jet bridge onto an airline. You walk up the jet bridge and then finally you enter the ship. So you get onto the ship. You're on uh, probably the uh, third deck. And that's when you enter this three-story domed hub. There is a glass dome overhead. And this was done so that anybody going in, if it was raining, they don't have to immediately go in and experience rain, but there was natural skylight pouring in. In front of you Hmm. was this giant steampunk castle. So you saw the steampunk castle and on either side of the steampunk castle were two little areas to go. There was an arrow pointing left for Tomorrowland, an arrow pointing right for Fantasyland. On the left or right would be a Disney store and an Art of Disney, because of course there is. That's also where you would exit. So you have to exit for the gift shop. And then on the uh, on either side, there would also be a small eatery, probably somewhere you could probably get some coffee, start your day out with. Uh, if you turn left, you will go to Tomorrowland. That would feature five attractions now notice i said five attractions so you might be thinking does Fantasyland have five attractions no it has three times as much uh <laughs> side has the orbitron a ferris wheel and these were located on the roof so the ferris wheel was on the side it had this giant arm so the ferris wheel would kind of lean out this pendulum arm would lean out towards the bay so you would have this ferris wheel that went on the side of the ship and it would kind of tuck in whenever it was floating mm. and the orbitron which was pretty much the astro orbiter and that would be on the back of the ship so the orbitron you would fly above the sea uh you would actually go in, uh there, there would be star tours so you could ride star tours there were three simulator bays instead of four which were at disneyland and then the most interesting portion was that there was a area with a Nautilus. So you would go into this also skylight area that had a Nautilus in a pool, in a little pool. You could enter it and do the walkthrough attraction from Euro Disneyland. Well, you wouldn't actually go into the actual Nautilus. You would go into a sub room that was like a recreation. Have you ever mm-hmm. heard of this from Euro from Disneyland Paris? Yeah, I have. So this mm-hmm. was a this was going to be a walkthrough instead of like a simulator ride. Yes. It was just going to be a copy from Euro Disneyland. Exactly, a copy. Okay. And you have to remember this is getting built. This is look being eyed when they were making Euro Disneyland. So that's why you're right. actually going to notice a lot of things that Imagineering were working on at the time. Of course, right. And so, and there was also a 3D theater. Now, interesting enough, you would think, okay, it's 3D theater. Would it play Captain Neo? No, they were thinking of playing either Muppet Vision or a Lion King 3D show. 
in Tomorrowland. In Tomorrowland. Well, you know, yeah, actually, exactly. That sounds about right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Fantasyland included 15 attractions. Ariel's Carousel, Casey Jr., which you can see in the model. It's this roller coaster that goes atop, on the top. It kind of almost looks like a kind of a Dr. Seuss thing. Uh, oh. and in, the, in the middle is the carousel. This is not on the model, but I've read enough that it supposedly was going to be there. There was a Skyway that you took mm. from Fantasyland to Tomorrowland. So you took it from one end of the ship to the other. I personally don't think that would have ever happened, but uh, who knows? The Mad Tea Party, uh, which was funny enough, that was located right on the side of the ship. So you could go do the side of the ship and then you got off and you were right on the ports on the port side. So you could just mm-hmm. go and throw up over the edge. <laughs> um, and it's a small world was also on the roof. Now, if you, once again, look at the model, you'll see that a giant towering version of that amazing Rolly Crump, uh, Mary Blair facade. Mm-hmm. That was not a boat ride. It was going to be an, Omnimover version of the ride. Instead of, I'm going to guess instead of the, like the clamshells, um, do you remember from Epcot, A uh, World of Motion, or even Spaceship Earth? I'm yeah. going to guess that was sort of the idea they were going to use. You were going to get in these mm-hmm. kind of the open air cars and go through sense. the attraction. Now, it may be something closer to um, like the dark rides of the World's Fair and stuff like that. Right. Um, like a light, like an open air one. <laughs> you would drive in like little Ford cars yeah. instead of, <laughs> instead of uh, the happiest cruise that ever sailed. This is the happiest drive, the <laughs> happiest road trip ever. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. You know, I wonder how the other countries would look at Americans. Yeah. Uh, like <laughs> American automobiles. It's like, why isn't that a Toyota? Okay, so inside there was a Toontown section. Uh, once again, Toontown, another thing that they're working on right at the time. There's a bounce playground and a Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin. A Little Mermaid dark ride. Now, once again, this is not the dark ride that we know today. This was the proposed dark ride that was going to be a suspended ride. You can actually see it. Uh, well, we'll have an episode on this eventually. Uh, you can actually see it on the one of these Little Mermaid DVDs. I'm sure they've uploaded to the YouTube. But it was going to be a suspended ride. And once again, you might notice, why was there a Peter Pan or something like that? Because Michael wanted synergy. He wanted whatever was new, what people would recognize now. Because they're going to a lot of markets that are less familiar with Disney's past and more familiar with Disney's present. And this is a problem that they encountered in Shanghai, if you remember. They had just been introduced to Disney, so they didn't do many classic Disney stuff. Oh, interesting. They do have a Peter Pan ride, whatever. Uh, there was going to be a Mickey mouse meeting greet and the waiting area. They were going to borrow a bunch of interactive elements from the image works at Epcot. Oh boy. And just change those to, <laughs> from figment theme to, to Mickey themed. I'm sure they'd work just as well on an oil tank. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you can do a pin cushion everywhere. <laughs> a live theater that played the beauty and the beast show from disney's mgm studios that's lovely would they have to would they have to recast different like languages for wherever they were because um, it that's a good question um yeah. i have no idea maybe they would have different shows during the day that were in different yeah. languages who knows because i guess if you i'm trying to look back at where this thing would dock like if you were docking in 
South America, for example, you presumably couldn't do an English presentation mm-hmm. of Beauty and the Beast, and they couldn't stay in the you know the the Disney Navy because in Australia the South American one would be worthless, right? Um, but and there's also something that that has to be said about. That's a good question. I would have to look into how other cruise lines handle that, especially oh, the Disney point. cruise lines, how they handle. They probably uh, have those productions in English and have methods of translation for yeah. others. That could be the way that they do it. I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess if they emphasize the music, then mm-hmm. people will be familiar exactly. with it anyways. Right. Yeah. The Adventureland, but not outright said portion. It's just a portion of Fantasyland. It's not Adventureland. Uh, included <laughs> a Aladdin Dark Ride, the Aladdin Spinner, which we finally got, uh, which was the Magic Carpets, an Indiana Jones Roller Coaster. Now, this was originally going to be Space Mountain. Originally, this was going to be on the Tomorrowland side, and this was going to be Space Mountain. And this is... Exactly the sort of thing that Mark Hickson was looking at. It's like if you want to put in a full space mountain in here, you would have to have all the space you can get. It would probably mm. change the name because Space Mountain on inside doesn't really work. But they changed it to an Indiana Jones roller coaster, which is going to be a minecart ride. And then, don't know how they're going to do this. The Indiana Jones Adventure from in Disneyland, the entire thing. Don't know. I guess in the bottom, maybe it went underground in the beginning instead of. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure how they would have worked that out, but that would be incredible. That would easily be this ship's headliner attraction. Mm. Uh, there were, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there were six restaurants, all of which were quick service restaurants. And the reason why is because the operating day was broken into two halves. Uh, these were two eight hour shifts. You would start in the morning from eight a.m. to 4 p.m. and then you would have 4 p.m. all the way until i presume what is that would it be midnight yes yes so you would go to midnight the morning guests would board the ship for eight hours and they would be able to see multiple attractions in that time the quick service restaurants had to be fast enough for guests to quickly eat and move on with their day because they have about 20 to 21 attractions to get through of course, the idea is you want to get the majority of your guests through those attractions in those eight hours times. They did maybe want a sit-down restaurant underneath the Orbitron, but they mm-hmm. might have nixed that as well. You know, just to give somebody, someone like maybe an extra option if they just kind of want to, you know, take it easy and have a nice view because it would have been looking over the water. And probably remember that in their port area, you know, you would kind of look around. And so they wanted to keep capacity low enough. So it's 10,000 people on the ship at one time. Magic Kingdom is 100,000 at max capacity. That way, the attractions only experience 15-minute long waits. Now, most that you're waiting is 15 minutes long. How times have changed. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because there was also little room for queue lines. You didn't have that much space for a queue. That's the thing. All these attractions had to be high capacity. Indiana Jones Adventure would have broken down a lot. So again, <laughs> this is before this is before it opened. Okay, remember this is yeah. like 1991, 1992. They had no idea how problematic this thing was going to be. Um, so that's why, like all these attractions, are you know either spinner attractions that are high capacity, these high capacity dark rides. The nighttime guests would get an added bonus. Uh, once again, remember, we had the third ship that would hold a firework barge and would do a nightly show. But 
if you have to remember, this would all be located at this port, this dock. And docks are usually where people get to cruise are, are usually cruise ship terminals. Uh, and there's usually things to do around that, but there's also lots of hotels. So presumably you would not be able to just drive down and experience the SS Disney for a day. Most likely you would make a day for it. If you were in the mm. morning people, if you were in the morning, you would probably stay around and also be able to catch the fireworks show in order to get guests through the building. There were these massive staircases that you can see in, uh, cruise ships but also gigantic elevators that held 40 to 50 people at a time so you would just go in there you'd be like shoved in like cattle the dock side was decorated like a regular boat a port side had all these lots of pinwheel decor it was like reminiscent of mary blair style small world uh that fit in with that towering facade on top so if you saw it from far away not only would you see the ferris wheel you would see all of this kinetic movement going on you'd like could not miss it it was supposed to draw you in the ss disney is here you would see it you were getting very excited to see it so th- that was the ss disney is there any other questions before we get into why it wasn't built no, it's pretty comprehensive. I don't, I don't think there could be anything else in the design plans that you didn't cover here. <laughs> right. Like an incredibly ambitious project. Why wasn't it built? Well, Frank Wells was a huge proponent of the project. He tragically died in a helicopter crash in April of 1994. We also had the Euro Disneyland boondoggle that was happening, which had put a heavily financial strain on the company. So this is all happening at the same time. The proposal goes to the Disney strategic planning as well. And they're befuddled because they're looking at their resources and saying, this would be better managed. Why don't we just do a fleet of cruise lines? That's something we know works. Mm-hmm. All these cruise lines work. Why can't we just do a Disney version of that? This would allow them to charge premium prices and would allow for a higher turnover rather than spending multiple months in a market that could turn out disinterested. What if they're 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 at the port there selling tickets? This is before the time of the internet, so you have to physically go down to the dockside and buy your tickets. And they're like, the advance tickets are really poor. We're going to be spending seventy five days here. That's hmm. not good, but we're committed. We have to do this. We have a schedule. That's what we have to do. So cruise ships. Instead, people buy their cruise lines long in advance. This has always been done. And you know that you have this max capacity and they're locked in there. They can't leave. They're a captive audience. They also required far less maintenance and dining and alcohol sales would drive higher profits. Most likely, you wouldn't have alcohol on the SS Disney. A lot of people speculate if Wells was alive, he would have pushed Michael to pursue both endeavors. But of course, Michael agreed with strategic planning's analysis. The Disney Cruise Line was announced in 1994, shortly after the plan was next. Uh, the first DCL ship, the Disney Magic, set sail in 1998. So that's pretty much how the project quickly died. Moving on, let's ask, what if? This is the interesting part of the podcast. So we know what it is. We know what didn't happen. But what if Frank Wells had lived... What if they were like, you know what? Let's try this. Let's do this. What if? Would it have been a success? What do you say? What would it? Well, let's 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 start. Hmm. 
I'll get to the that for that second question <laughs> in the next segment. But let's assume it's a success, right? Let, mm-hmm. Let's say that it 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 begins and they put it out in the world and it it makes its voyages, right? Yeah, and it's completed exactly as it was said today. Mm-hmm. I don't think we would have the Disney parks that opened post Euro Disneyland. Oh, okay. Um, which of course isn't many, right? It would be Shanghai, Hong Kong, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess what Tokyo Disney Sea, right? But well, t- no, I that's... think Tokyo Disney Sea would have happened. That's a completely different thing. Right, right, right. But I think that the expansion of like the Disney brand, you know, into these other areas, international if you markets, had the yeah. boat. Exactly. Once you have a boat that takes the theme park around, right? They probably would have looked at. I mean, even what we know of about Shanghai and Hong Kong now, those are not incredible financial successes. Hmm. Perhaps it would have given Disney the, you know, the the initial testing to not want to expand into uh, other countries, right? But if it had opened, I almost wonder how many would would this thing ever get new attractions? That's exactly what I wanted to ask. Like, would it get updated? You know, if you're sailing from point A to point B all this time, there would have to be a moment there where you'd have to at least dock it for maintenance. I mean, like slotting in and out an attraction that is elaborate as this. Right. That's not easy, especially when it comes to putting it's it's got to be on a cruise ship, not a cruise ship, but a, a super tanker. You right. have to completely go in and rehaul that thing. You can't easily demolish it. Mm. It's not easily demolished. So the fact is that updating these attractions would be so difficult. And Michael Eisner is pushing so hard for synergy. But obviously, if it's 2021, you don't want Aladdin attractions or Little Mermaid attractions. Yes, Little Mermaid is popular. However, mm-hmm. the kids will come on and they're going to be like, where's Frozen? Like, try adding <laughs> Anna and Elsa. In Marvel. Where's, well, exactly. Where's Marvel? Now, I wonder if this would have been a way to get around the universal contracts. That's um, a great question. Uh, as long as it's not docked east, uh, uh, in the United well, it States, be a theme park. east it of would the be... Mississippi, uh, it should be fine. It should be fine. Well, it should be able to dock- Marvel. Can't Disney dock Marvel experiences on their cruise lines? Yes, that is correct. Well, I the possibly would give them mm-hmm. an opportunity to do some Marvel stuff while saying that it isn't quite true a theme park. Now, the you other know, it's, Disney it's, uh, ships are able to remodify themselves and add things and replace things. However, they're replacing restaurants. They're replacing mm-hmm. Little play areas. They're not replacing these massive, gigantic attractions that are made of steel and concrete and have so many moving parts. It's it's so much harder to maintain something like this. Yeah. The theme parks, the, the one lucky thing about the theme parks is that they're on land, right? So you mm-hmm. can fly out an entire maintenance team or you can tra- um, transport materials uh, if you're in Cali from pretty close, if you're in Florida, there's obviously um, separate, you know, Imagineering offices there. But still, it's within the country. Mm-hmm. When you have this thing docked in Asia, let's say, and Indiana Jones breaks down like it always does. Yeah. Then there goes one of your temple rides. And that's 
what's carrying the thing. There's 20 attractions and you lose one. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a, it was a, with a, with a great idea perhaps, but what, if it had been built, I think people would have looked at it, been, had gone once, maybe twice, but when it returned back to your port, especially with the inability to do new attractions. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that uh, uh, there would be some problems there. Yeah. Uh, th- there was, th- I was going to say there was a, an interesting thing. Uh, did you read uh, Jim Corcus's article about yeah, this? Yeah, I did. Yeah. There's the one part at the end where he asks a lot of questions, which, which uh, I'll, I'll summarize very quickly here. Uh, different safety standards in different countries, mm-hmm. sewage transfer, uh, maintenance on the attractions, but and the ship itself, small area so you can't expand. Right. Expensive to replace attractions, medical facilities, profit generation, mm-hmm. parking, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. Um, you know, what if it had done? It might have. <laughs> it might be a such a severe cost sink yeah. for the company. And and that and Corcus has a great point about parking. By the way, they mm-hmm. would have to be competing with other cruise terminals for parking. Right now, this is very important. So you have to remember that cruise terminals are built with long-term parking. However, they are not built with short-term parking. Short-term mm, parking true. does not exist at a cruise terminal. You're finding with all these cruise ships who are getting people to park their cars there for seven to eight days versus people who want to go in and park their cars otherwise. Now, supposedly the idea would be, well, why don't they just park at one of the hotels? They stay at the hotel to stay overnight. Bada-bing, bada-boom. But... That's not how people are probably going to want to treat this thing. They're probably going to want to treat this thing like a normal day to a normal amusement park. And that's a huge problem as well when you have this massive super tanker. And two, they're also going to take up two cruise terminals as well. When Mm -hmm. you dockside multiple ports, a super tanker could be three. It could be up to three. This could have been three times the size of a normal cruise line. So that also has a lot of money in rent that you would have to be docking this thing for 75 days. So once again, a lot of issues, a lot of issues. Now, I don't even know if it would be a success. Once again, what if you were going to a market and the advanced sales were poor? Yeah, obviously, you know, we know what happened in France, right, where Mm -hmm. they uh, incorrectly assumed that people would be interested in Disney. The problem is, is that, with France, there was ample time to build an audience there. Exactly. And it, at this point, I can't say it's perfect from what I understand, but Disneyland Paris is still, you know, it's the highest, it's decently the highest popular. Vis- it's the highest visited attraction in France. Well, what other attractions in France are there? <laughs> like the Eiffel Tower. The Louvre? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, certainly I can, I can believe that. And there's international. Well, part of the things that I believe about that statistic there is that it might be a bit unfair because i think a lot of international tourism can push people to disneyland paris mm-hmm. right i think french audiences may not be may not be interested right and now maybe they are but even at the time a lot of the slack was picked up by international tourism right uh, and by attraction this is seemingly not likely to to garner any any tourists yeah this is this is uh, the, hyper a lot specific of the, Right, a lot of the attractions are copies. Right, uh, a mm-hmm. lot of them are seemingly inferior versions because of they're on the boat. Well, we don't know that, of course, but a lot of them are, are kind of bite-sized versions with some new and and interesting things, but not to the extent of a full theme park. 
Right. So you lose the international market and the travel market, um, and you are trying to pull people in. It sounds mm-hmm. like a great advertiser. Yeah, I went yeah. to a, a fair once, and they had Disney Infinity, and I played it and bought it. Oh. But they probably spent 30 bucks on that you know, mm-hmm. thing. This is millions of dollars that'll come by once, maybe pick up you know, a decent chunk of Disney fans, and then when it comes back around again and there's nothing new on it, I don't really know if people would be so interested. Right. And it's it's also another problem is it's not like even the super Disney fans who fly out to experience every Disney theme park in the world, right. they're going to do this once. And the reason mm-hmm. why is because the pain in the ass that it would to get to this would be only worth doing once because you have Absolutely. to know the exact port to do it at and you have to fly down there to do it and you would mm-hmm. do it once and that's it you would not bother doing it again maybe there'll be some deranged trust fund people who followed around like weird groupies which could you imagine that yeah it's like i'm gonna <laughs> go to yeah. wdw news today <laughs> yeah you're gonna be like oh well it's gonna be it's gonna be dockside in uh i don't know uh hong kong next week and then it's going to next be in Japan or it's going to be next in Sydney. I'll fly over there to get it. We got it there, well, you know, it, and you just follow it around the globe. The idea of having Disney presence in a market to cultivate new fans is really smart. And I think that that is a brilliant way of bringing new people in. It's a proven success. Mm-hmm. And I can follow it there. The problem is, is that they already did that in 1987 with the Disney store. The right. Disney store, I would say, for a lot of consumers who aren't, you know, in major park areas, was a a, a formative experience in their appreciation of Disney in their youth. That's mm-hmm. a, a big success. It's significantly cheaper, and it's based strictly on small merchandising. Mm-hmm. When it comes to a boat, I think that if the boat moved. Like maybe if they cut the theme park in half and it moved and you got to go on a trip, I guess mo- people would be interested. I, c- I mean, look, people are paying about to pay 250 K to go to space. Right? right. I think that it would be really cool. Even if the ticket was like $20,000 a piece, I wouldn't pay it. But I think some people might, if you had a moving Disney theme park experience on water, mm. like a, that to me has a greater identity than the how SS long Disney. would you be at sea with that thing? Ooh, maybe five days. Oh my god! I'd say. <laughs> He's, like Wait, that's got, how long you're at a normal Disney park. How long Disney would World. you? Like, how many attractions it would be like if you you split in half? I don't know about that. If you built if you built a Disney theme park right with a small shopping district, five days for like twenty k a person. <laughs> well, maybe that's too high. Oh my god, maybe that's too high. But what I'm, what I'm saying is that if you want to cult, this seems like either a a high, you know, like one of those really uh, elitist high money attractions, right? Or it seems like a, a a good way of getting people to you know to to get Disney in their hometown. The problem mm-hmm. is that the Disney store is cheaper and it does that for more people. And if it moved, it would attract the higher you know rich people. This is like a, a roaming advertisement that would probably be in my hypothesis uh dismantled after one run that's that's exactly what i was thinking i was thinking that there's no way this would be a success uh it's fascinating i think it's absolutely fascinating the idea that you would have all these attractions on all these different levels 
I mean, if if you would, and, and we're going to get to this, I, I would have visited it. I would have visited it. But I don't think it would have been a success. I think it would have eventually have failed and they would realize the folly of their ways and gone on to the obviously successful cruise line industry. And things would have been as they currently are today. It's easier just to have a theme park that's on land that you can easily switch in and out rather than something that floats from one destination to another and is by all means a massive headache. The one thing that I think that they could learn from this is that with remember remember a couple of years ago there was that black box idea? Yes, I remember that. Um I think that they could easily learn that there is a market for moving, you know, for Disney attractions that are not simply based on land and could find a home in the cruise ships. No, you're right. But, if if this was simpler. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think like the idea of like Omni Mover Small World, that's a smart idea because that's timeless attraction. Okay. A yeah. lot the good news is that a lot of the attractions on the roof were smartly done. There are a lot of hmm. spinner attractions. And there are a lot of timeless attractions. I think that this sh- the the items inside the ship are less so. And if you yeah. think about how highly themed some of these should uh, probably were. Mm-hmm. That would be a little bit more difficult. Now, of course, they had like the show theaters and the show theaters could be easily like changed in and out. But these Little Mermaid, these dark ride experiences. Uh, I, I don't know. Once again, yeah, the black box idea. That's that's the perfect way to go about it. Yeah, because, you know, they could do the Aladdin dark ride and then, you know, next year they could replace it with Pocahontas. The problem well, we don't need to get into the problems with black boxes, but uh, the, the fear would be that the track would stay so similar unless it was trackless, right? A but trackless, whatever. Trackless would be the idea for a black box. Yeah, they, so that you could retrack the ride and you could re you could, you could put uh, project some new visuals. Exactly. On the walls. Yeah. But I, I think that Disney as a moving property is not a bad idea. Where did the Disney cruise ships? leave from because i was under the impression they only leave from the united states but now i'm wondering do they also leave from ports in other countries or is it strictly a united states business yeah they do leave in all other areas for sure oh okay so, mm-hmm. so they, they, they go through for everything through everything hmm. okay yeah that, that's certainly interesting then i guess i really like the idea of bringing disney parks to other places mm-hmm. i really like the idea of you know, eight areas where there were no parks getting some kind of a theme park uh, um, representation. What I don't like is that I don't really get the part where it goes across the ocean. Right. To me, that doesn't, it seems like a really fun idea in the same way that like a flying theme park would be. Um, but, but flying. I don't, well, yeah. Like, <laughs> what is this? Like, like the Avengers? Yeah, they they put on the helicarrier. No, I think you ever read this is slightly off topic. You ever read about how Jeff Bezos wants to build like a flying city because he's a big libertarian and stuff like that. Mm, I don't want to. Well, I I don't want to. I don't want to. You should. I hope Jeff Bezos goes to space and never leaves. (laughs) It's like The Simpsons where they he hasn't hit the sun quick enough. Exactly. Ejector seat. Um, No, he wants to do that. That's silly. Whatever. But you know, it's a fun idea to do a theme park or a city in 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 the air. But the logistical nightmare that it becomes isn't worth it. I'd imagine that it's honestly cheaper to build a theme park in some of these areas. 
um, you could probably run a market test in ways that are not dragging a thousand ton ship with a Ferris wheel to see how many ticket sales you can pull. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one thing, one thing you did mention, uh, uh, the Disney quest. Yeah. Uh, so what is the relation between, uh, this and, and Disney quest? So Disney quest is a surprisingly similar model. It's trying to hit mm-hmm. dark markets in the United States that do not have Disney theme parks in them. And the remarkable difference, uh, is surprisingly slim because they also had the problem of updating. They also had the problem of people not really wanting to go that much. The Chicago one barely lasted two years and that's because people would go once and then not again. They would, they wouldn't update that much. The ticket prices were too expensive. Hmm. Uh, And, and the one thing that the Disney, the SS Disney project has that is on it is the fact that there's a limited time ideal behind it. Whereas Disney right. quest, it was just a bunch of virtual reality games that were dated the instant it came out. So th- it does have that sm- a slight advantage, but the, again, the problem is, would you ever update it or would it become <laughs> this giant lumbering thing that's stood stale for years and years? I mean, imagine if it, you know how 90s Disney looked. It looked, mm-hmm. in a lot of respects, kind of tacky. And what a- whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. All Hold right. the phone there. All right. Now you're going too far. Mm-hmm. Um, no, Sorry. I know what you mean. Sorry, I'm insulting hey. your uh, downtown Disney love. You know, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> there's gonna be one episode of this podcast yeah um <laughs> no I, I i so admittedly that's one thing i was weirdly thinking about is that yeah it would have been really cool to have a relic of 90s disney like disney quest and it probably wouldn't close to become an nba experience but you know don't <laughs> cross your fingers on that one um <laughs> but i i do think that it would be uh it's certainly yeah it would have held the design aesthetics that really have clearly not you know standed the test of time um mm-hmm. in in the in the incoming uh, the ensuing years it's interesting though to learn one thing that i really like about this show is that you can learn a lot from history uh, especially in ideas that didn't work you know this is i wouldn't necessarily say it's a failure because it didn't happen but it certainly wasn't something that they decided would have been a success right or so they would have right. done it mm-hmm. um you can really see the difference, though, in the mentality. And I really clicked when you said the Disney Quest thing is that it right. seemed like in the 90s, the push of the Disney decade was to get Disney in as many households as possible, mm-hmm. right? Was to take the products and really push them. Stores, VHS tapes, the SS Disney, Disney Quest across, well, wherever in the United States. Right. <laughs> um, that was the big push. And it's interesting to see how Disney pivoted into instead of getting Disney into the household, Disney buying and owning the things that are already in your house. That's true. Right? It's, yeah. It's, just, it, it's certainly interesting that Disney wouldn't do this nowadays because they, the equivalent of the SS Disney, right, of literally taking Disney and dragging it to your house, mm-hmm. it, to me, is like buying Star Wars, um, a, right. a, a ready known idea um where you get the property and you get all the people that already liked you know star wars so mm-hmm. it, it if this if you, there was a relic i know we'll get into more eventually um but if there was a relic of the 1990s you know disney mindset 
Mm-hmm. It definitely is the SS Disney. Oh, one hundred percent. This aggressive push into getting Disney on every billboard. Um, yeah, it, it's certainly it's certainly a different world nowadays. Yeah, and it, it definitely is. If you lived in a portside town, imagine it's pretty much like you remember um, in the nineteen nineties there was this whole thing of Nickelodeon takes over your school. Oh, I did. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty much Disney takes over your town, but instead of (laughs) one day it's 75 baby. One question is, I wonder how, you know, the Olympics coming always like ruins a town, right? Right. I wonder if Disney would carry with it because if, if it did get those kind of groupies and stuff, and if it Mm -hmm. did reach the level of success that they were intending, because there's like two ways for this to happen, right? It either becomes a a massive success that draws people from around the country to one small portside town who True. probably can't sustain it, True. or b it becomes the equivalent of that portside town's new mall that's open <laughs> for a bit. Yeah, yeah, but an expensive mall. Presumably, mm-hmm. what do you think about the ticket prices? You think they'd be like on par with the parks, or I think so, and it, that's difficult to say because the inflation has massively increased over the years. Well, so inflation it, 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 yeah, and more, but yeah. <laughs> right. So it's it's hard to say like what it would have been back then, but I, I'm going right. to guess that for what remember it's going to be eight hours. So it's probably going to be a, like probably a 15% discount uh, <laughs> for like the eight hours. And then, you know, of course, you know, you would have to pay the Disney prices for the food and drink and shops and stuff like that. It's, it's funny. Nowadays they charge you more for less hours. For less hours. Yes. Yeah. And, and the blue bash. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I wonder. Yeah, because I guess, well, I don't, I, uh, in, in the now, in the world nowadays, that's, I think, a really good question that we should ask about a lot of these parks is that perhaps in the world of the 90s, it would have been interesting. But if, you know, technology developed in mm-hmm. the way that it did nowadays, I think it would have been, number one, like we were saying, it would have been a waste of an investment on the attraction side. Because the uh, the technology would be so dated by now. Yeah, the attractions that are still on that the the attractions that are you know are on that um that the SS Disney that are also on main ports are now or sorry main parks are now seen as dated classics. You know what right. I mean? Like it's just a dated old classic fun ride. It it wouldn't mm-hmm. be as cutting edge. Um, and additionally, I don't know how what kids would think of that. Um, if they would really be interested in in spending the money yeah. at at the Disney parks, like it's it's well, supposed to be a taste, part. but at the same time, it's like, why would I go here that has a bunch of old stuff, where I mm-hmm. can go to Disneyland where it has not only the old stuff but new stuff as well? Yeah, exactly. It's gonna be constantly updating. Yeah, I, I don't it, think it, I don't think this would be existing if it had been built now. No, where do you think it would if be? This, just all it, in like yeah. Imagineering? If or? this is. Yeah. If this was a an extinct attractions podcast, we would be talking about how on the uh, in like <laughs> in like a portion of California, you could point out that cargo ship that used to be the SS Disney. And you can feel like look at the artifacts here, here, and here of what it used to be as it used to be the SS Disney and blah 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 blah. And now it's sitting in this uh, cargo hold. It'd be even worse than like the Euro itchy and scratchy land. Yeah, wouldn't it be amazing? Empty. Wouldn't it be amazing? Remember, uh, there was that canal disaster where the sea was <laughs> oh, canal, <yeah. laughs> and it was like this, this uh, cargo ship has been uh, 
lodged in this canal. And interestingly, it used to be the SS Disney. It's, it's it was the SS Disney and all the part of the all what the if, attractions. What if that happened to the SS Disney if it got lodged into a canal? I was also thinking about like you know ocean crime and stuff like that because when you mentioned international waters, I was like Captain Phillips would have been a lot more interesting if he was on Indiana Jones, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I. It's a fun idea, but so was the Mickey Mouse Hotel. Well, I don't know. Yeah, we'll never get to that. But well, you know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. You know. Uh, so, uh, do we think this should have been built or should have not? <sighs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, if I was an executive at Disney, my answer would be no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I, yeah, obviously, I'd love to see a stupid decision be made for fun, but no. Uh, yeah. No, I don't but think so. Objectively, I don't think it should have happened. If if I lived in a world where this could have easily been with a snap and gone, Thanos away, yeah, mm-hmm. I would definitely 100% yes. <laughs> okay, build it. Please, please. Okay, uh, it's built. All right, give me eight hours and then I'm going to snap my fingers and it'll go away. But I don't think this should have actually have ever happened. As fascinating no. as an idea as it was, it definitely should not have happened. Um, I do know that uh, the Disney Cruise Line, they're, they're debuting two new ships. Uh, one mm-hmm. is called the Wish. Very creative naming there um but there was gonna be two other ships and oh there was going to be a void on those ships they were going to put the void on there oh really sadly yes the the coronavirus pandemic happened and completely bankrupted and uh, and killed the company yeah hey, disney needs to buy that proprietary software and put that on a ship because that's exactly what we're talking about just general black box attractions mm-hmm. Obviously, that's not a dark ride, but yeah, still. They, they just um, let it go for their fingers. And you know what? I don't blame them for having done that mm-hmm. because they didn't know when they would be able to actually do this technology again. That's a good point. You know, in the midst of it, it's like right now, this is bad. We don't know how long this pandemic is going to be going on for. Let's not touch it. Just remember that the first Disney, uh, actually, well, the, speaking of the Wish, the first Disney on sea attraction is opening on the. Wish. Oh my gosh, the Aqua Mouse! It was a, yeah, no, well, that's called Aqua, an attraction. Yeah, but... Aqua Mouse. Yeah, so you go in and there's little screens on your little water coaster, and that's call. Uh, it, it's a, it's an attraction just like uh, Volcano Bay is a theme park. And yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> like it's amazing that like they don't. Do they even have animatronics on board of those ships? I don't. No, so no, 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 they don't. Uh, it's just video, I think. Yeah, they, 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 no, no, I mentioned like general. No, oh, absolutely not. No, no, no they have, they're not. They have just, uh, cause all the, I have never been on a Disney cruise, but what I've seen, it's just the kids' rooms are just like, um, you know, computers and, uh, play uh, areas like, um, generally. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Uh, like but computers they and, make, and they will make a cupcake become big. Oh, yeah. The new Ant Man. <laughs> the Ant Man thing. God, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe the SS Disney wasn't such a bad idea. <laughs> so. uh, all right. So, uh, that I believe. Any other comments on the SS Disney, sir? Uh, absolutely not. I mean, yeah. if Disney ever wants to throw away some money, they should give it a shot. But uh, mm-hmm. no, I think it's best left to the, <laughs> the history books. Could you imagine if they had like an SS Disney and there's Rise of the Resistance on there? Oh like, yeah, right. <laughs> it never works. I can't get yeah. it to work here. Yeah. Disney, here's my advice. Build the SS Disney and park it at Walt Disney World and just load it with Marvel attractions. Mm. 
go to court and say that it's not a theme park. It's just a cruise ship. <laughs> well, they, well, they put it on um, the, uh, the the Seven Seas Lagoon and just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, just park it, just park it, <laughs> park it in the rivers of America. Ah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, all right. <laughs> so that about does it for our first episode. Yay! Hey. All right. Okay, so <laughs> uh, in the meantime, please follow us on social media on Twitter and soon to come Facebook if it hasn't come up already. Feel free to email us at unbuiltpod at gmail.com. And rate us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Anchor, or wherever you can find your fine podcasts. Please write a review. Tell us how we're doing so the algorithm finds us and recommends it to other people. And if you don't like us, thank you for listening to WDW Radio. My name is Lou Mangello. We'll see you here next time. Take care, everyone. 